Okay, it says, verse 1, Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I'll be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. Okay, so remember in verse 1, he underscores again that Moses has died. And he's, com- he, he's commissioned Joshua. Joshua's been commissioned at the end of Deuteronomy, the last book. And he tells him again, he says, Arise, now therefore arise, this is in, in verse 2, Cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. He says, I am giving it to them. I am giving you this land. This land is being given to you by God. God tells them, I am giving you the land. So, in case you ever wonder, wow, I I really took this land. No, it was given to you. One day I was fixing my car and my daughter was very young and she said she wanted to help me. And so I gave her a screwdriver and she just poked around at something and she said, I fixed it. I said, you fixed it. You really fixed it. So she had this idea in her mind that she had fixed the car. This is how it is with our lives. God gives us things. And we think that we did it ourselves. God has given this, them this land. He says, I have given it to you. If you go to Israel today, very often people will, will, will feel as if we, we acquired this land. We, we you know, fought these battles and we did this. And I'm looking at them. Don't you realize? God has given this to you. God has given this. He says, He has given them this land. He says in in verse 3, Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. He tells Joshua, Every place that your foot lands, I'm giving it to you. To you, Joshua, I'm giving it to you. Every place that your foot lands, I am giving it to you. Now, if God is giving it, why can't Joshua and the children of Israel just sit back and drink iced tea? Say He's going to give it to us. Let Him clear it out so that we can do it. It doesn't work that way, and Christian life does not work that way either. The Lord might open a door for you to get into a certain university, to get into a certain program, to get a certain career, to get a certain job. But there is a battle, a daily battle along the way. He may open up a door for you to get into a a university, but that doesn't mean that you don't have to work. You don't have to do your homework. You don't have to work when you're there. It's the same in a career. He may open up a door for you in a career. 
But that doesn't mean that you don't have to work very, very hard. They really had to, to labor to get the land that God had given to them. This is Christian life. This is the way the world works in the kingdom of God. God gives, and then it's up to us to acquire that which He has laid out before us. There's a, a, a participation here. But now He says to Joshua, every place, in verse 3, on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. He says, just as I spoke to Moses. Formerly, it was just as I had spoken to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But now, he includes Moses in this. And this is actually in keeping with what he had promised him in, in, uh, uh, earlier on in, in Deuteronomy. He had brought Moses in Deuteronomy 34, verse 4. There was a promise to Moses that I'm going to give you the land. Remember, the promise was to the patriarchs, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 34, he said to Moses, I'm going to give the land. And so you see that even though Moses himself wasn't going to walk into it, even though Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob themselves at that time were not going to walk into it. But one day, they will walk into it. Uh, uh, because the, the Jews had to come out. So Abraham lived in the land. Isaac lived in the land. Jacob, his family was taken out. He was going to be brought back. And, and uh, Moses will one day enter that land. The land has been given, just as he spoke to Moses. And then he, 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 he defines this. But what I want you to see is he, is he talks about how, how I'm going to give it to you. But then as you go on down, let's just... just uh, um, Skip one verse, and he says in verse 6, look in verse 6, Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. So up in verse 3, he says, I'm going to, he says to Joshua in verse 3, I'm going to give it to you. And then in verse 6, he says, You shall give this people possession of the land. He says to Joshua, I'm going to give you this land. And then he says to him, a couple sentences later, you are to give possession to this people. What if Joshua had said, hey, God gave it to me. Let's just nationalize everything. And so, it's, it'll be all mine and you guys can work on it. You laugh. This is what every dictator does. Hugo Chavez, what does he do when he comes in? He nationalizes everything. You nationalize everything. Everything is owned by the government. What happened in Iran when, when the Ayatollah came in? Everything was nationalized. All owned by the state. This is normal. This is actually the way men generally are. If it's mine, it's mine. Let's just leave it mine. What about this part of having to give it? No, we'll just leave. Don't worry. I'll take care of it. This is Christian life as well. Christian life is the life of being a conduit. Being one who receives from God and then gives to others. God gives to us and we are to give to others. This is the pattern of Christian life. I want you to turn over to the, to the book of Philippians in the New Testament. Turn over to the book of Philippians. Philippians 4.15 You yourselves know, Philippians 
that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for me. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So look what he says to the Philippians. He says to the Philippians, even when I was in Thessalonica, you were sending gifts to me. The Thessalonians didn't fully take care of me. You were sending gifts to me. He says, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving like you guys have. He says, not that I'm seeking the gift. He says, but I seek, in in verse 17, for the profit which increases to your account. In other words, you have taken of what you have and you have given to me. More than my need, I am happy what this is going to do for you. Since you have given in this way, I am happy because, he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. When I see a person who's generous, I know that person is going to have a good life. So how do I know that? Because they are just building up their account. Their account is just going up. Generous people receive things more from the Lord. Generous people give out and the Lord dumps more upon them. Generous people give out and the Lord dumps more upon them. That's the scriptural pattern. And then there's an interesting thing that Paul says. Paul says, I've received your gift. He says, I am amply supplied in verse 18. What's interesting about Paul, he says, enough. You've sent enough. I'm amply supplied. You rarely hear this from people. Okay, you've given, that's enough. They'll always be taking more. Yeah, keep sending more, keep sending more. No, Paul said, that's enough. Paul said, I am amply supplied. That's enough. But the Philippians understood what giving is. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to start reading from verse... verse... uh, um, Verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he is proposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that you, so, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. So he says, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the whole context of this is giving and receiving money. This is not giving and receiving blessing. It's giving and receiving of money. You can read above and see that it's specifically giving of, of, of money gifts. So if you say, well, why does the church always talk about money? The church doesn't talk about money. I am not the church. I am Jim Tour, all right? And I am just reading exactly what the Bible says. But what I really like about this is, 
I don't receive your money. I receive no payment from the church for doing this. So whether you give or don't give doesn't affect Jim Tour at all. But I want to see the increase to your account. That's what I want to see. You may say, well, I'm not making any money. Well, do you have any money? Can you buy a cup of coffee? I mean, there are things that you can afford to buy, right? So even if your parents are supporting you, there is something that you have to give. You can always give, and it is a great pattern to start. So this is a typical mentality of some students. Maybe not you, but of some students. Well, when I'm making a real salary, then I'll give. Then it'll be easy because I'm making a real salary. Let me tell you a little secret. The more money you make, the harder it is to give. Seems antithetical. No, the more money you make, the harder it is to give. So when you graduate, you know, there's this thing, oh, you, you know, the, 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 uh, the top 1%. Well, let me tell you something. For many of you, you're going to be professionals the day you graduate, and you're going to be, if not in the top 1%, in the top 5% of the people in the United States. So you're going to be in the top 5% within a few years, probably, if you just look at national averages of, of income. So say you're making a certain amount of money. Now you're, 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 you're going to have to designate how much of this are you going to give. Now, the, the theory of tithing, the theory of tithing came from the Old Testament, but what's interesting about it is it came and it was used prior to the law being given. Abraham was giving a, a tithe. It wasn't much later, it was much later when Moses wrote the law, the law, which we are not under. The pattern of giving a tithe, of giving 10%, even predated the law. Then you have the law coming and underscoring it, not just the 10%, but actually much more than that. If you look at how much the children of Israel had to give of their different offerings, it's been calculated as over 20%. Now, some people will say, well, we have more tax on that anyway. That may well be true, but you're going to have to learn to give. Remember, he who sows sparingly, will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. When you get your first paycheck, you take a portion of that paycheck, and I'll tell you, a tithe, which is 10%, is a very good place to start. Because what you give should not be just out of your surplus, but out of your sustenance. How do we know that? Because the, it says the Pharisees were dropping in coins there was a widow who put in just one mite, tiniest little coin that you can put in. Jesus saw her and he called over his disciples. He said, she gave more than all of those Pharisees because she gave out of her sustenance. She gave her all. It's when you give your sustenance that it counts. The more money you make, you say, well, when I get a raise, then I'll give it. You'll get that raise and you'll say, whoa, they took out more tax. The more money you make, the harder it is to give. That's why you start now. You start in the practice now. When I was in college, my parents were sending me money each month. I was taking 10% of that and giving it away. And I still survived. I would get these summer jobs. I'd get paid. I was taking a portion of that and giving it. I was giving 10% to my local church. And then I was giving to other things that arose. Many of you are going out on mission trips. And you get blessed by people that help to support you. You get blessed by the church that helps to support you to go on mission trips. That's fine. 
That's just fine. But remember, when you graduate, you are prime pickings for people to send you a letter to support them on mission trips. And you give. You return back. And so when you are graduating, look at the graduates around you. Go to them and write to them when you are going on mission trips. They are the ones that should be supporting you. You were supported by others. You are the ones who are going to support the people when you graduate. All right? You get ready for that. You graduate, you're supporting these other people. The church here has been very gracious to students in this class in helping them on their mission trips. Very gracious. What you ought to do, and this is Jim Tour speaking, I think it's disingenuous to join the church just before you go on a mission trip so that you can look like a member of the church when you're going to be appealing for money. Do you see how that might be disingenuous? You ought to join the church when you become part of a church. You say, well, why do I have to join? Because this is what the church does. You want to walk in obedience? The church has a practice. Those to whom it's connected, join the church. It's a very easy thing here. In fact, I think the barrier is too low. You just walk up at the end of a church service and you fill out a little card. It can even be a watch care card, meaning that you're still a member of your church back home, but while you're here, the church will watch over you. You get on a mailing list. They feel a certain level of accountability to you, or else they never even know you have a name. They don't even know you exist unless you join. And then... When you appeal to them for money, they look on that list. Has this person joined the church? Are they really part of the body of Christ here? So well, why should they have to join? Why should I have to join in order to get help on a mission trip? Well, why doesn't the church just pay for all students in all the city of Houston that want to go on mission trips? Why doesn't the church just do that? They ought to do that, right? And everybody here who's a member should pay for that, right? But not you because you're not a member. You see what I mean? It's all of us together. It's community. The land was given to Joshua. Joshua then was to then grant it back to others. God gives to us, we give back to others. It's this pattern of sowing and reaping. In, in, in uh, Matthew chapter, chapter 6, verse 3, it says, When you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So in other words, you don't have to blow a trumpet that you're giving. But how can your left hand know, not know what your right hand is doing? Well, the only way it can't know, is that you're doing it so often you kind of lose track. Like, where, where did I put that pencil? Well, it's in your other hand. Oh, there it is. You know, when, when you're doing something so often, then your left hand loses track of what your right hand is doing. That's how we are to give. But remember, it's up to you. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. The most generous people I know are the ones who are most blessed. They are. The most generous people I know, their houses just flow with, with, with kindness. They may not be the richest people, but they are far more blessed than the really rich people. They're far more blessed. You look at the joy in their home, you look at the relationship they have with their children. When you give, God sees that and He blesses you. He says to Joshua, I'm going to give you the land, you give it to the people. Don't nationalize it. Give it on over. Let's turn back to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. Verse 4. He, he defines it. He says from, in verse 4, From the wilderness 
and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. So this is a brief synopsis of the land. He has given, he has given other portions where he very specifically gave them much more detail. But that means they're going to take even up to what's present-day Lebanon was theirs, all the way to the Euphrates. You know where the Euphrates, Euphrates is? That's in present-day Iraq. That's all the way the land that he was given them. To the, all the way to the Mediterranean, down to that border with Egypt. That's where the land that they were to have. And, and present-day Jordan, that land as well. Now, the, the most land that the, that, that the Israelites ever possessed was during the reign of David and Solomon. That was the most land. And even then it didn't reach to Euphrates. All of this land is not going to be granted to them until the Messianic Kingdom. But the pattern we clearly see in Scripture is that when the Israelites obeyed, their borders increased. When they disobeyed, their borders decreased. That's a very good pattern for us. When we obey the Lord, we expand. When we disobey the Lord, we contract. This thing of all the land of the Hittites, in fact, up until 1906, Nothing was known of the Hittite nation. Nothing was known of them uh, 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 before 1906. And it was believed that the Bible was in error, constantly talking about the Hittites and their land. And then they found in, in uh, southern Turkey, they found the capital of the Hittite nation. They found 10,000 10, stone tablets documenting the extent of the Hittite nation. And the Hittite nation was uh, from about 1900 B.C. to about 1200 B.C. And remember, this book was written in around 1390 B.C., so about 200 years before, before the Hittite nation finally came to an end. The southern end of the Hittite nation was Lebanon, and that's the Lebanon area that they're getting. So those critics concerning that have actually, actually went away after 1906. It says, it says that, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. I love this chapter. I have just stared at this chapter, meditating on this chapter. I can, I can come with this book in the morning and read this chapter, just the first half of this chapter, and I come out just like feeling really manly, just ready to go. Look what he says, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. He says, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. This is a promise to Joshua that he will never lose a battle. No battle will he ever lose. Except in the next verses it's going to say, as long as he walks in obedience to the Lord. As long as he walks in obedience to the Lord. This is, this is a tremendous blessing. This is was specifically to this man. But it greatly encourages me. Just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. So in other words, how was he with Moses? Moses spoke with God. This is a promise of communion. This is a promise of relationship. What we have in Jesus Christ, what we have in the Son, is far greater than the, what the vast majority of people had in the Old Testament. There were only a handful in the Old Testament that had this deep sense of communion with the Lord. 
We are granted this because of the blood of Jesus. That we are granted tremendous communion with God if we'll take hold of it. God has already granted it. It's up to us to take hold of it. But when He says, no man will stand before you all the days of your life, let me tell you what really encourages me through this. Sometimes I have to go into settings that I know there's going to be a contest. I know I'm going to be speaking about my faith in a secular setting, say at a Veritas Forum at some university doing something like this. And I can start to feel timid. I can start to feel like, maybe I'll just kind of say, well, you know, this is, it's good for me. Where God really wants to say, no, you are going to walk in there and you are going to walk in there bold as a lion. No man is going to be able to stand before you. He says, he says, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And I will take this portion and I will start to meditate on it. And I will start to say, Lord, embolden me. Embolden me because the word of truth that you have given me defeats everything. All these people who blurt out these silly little things, I've heard all these arguments before. There really is no new argument that comes at me in this. And those people are really quite weak and they're really cowards. The word of God that he's given us. And, and so I, I, I want you to turn to, uh, uh, to, First Timothy, to, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And look what the New Testament says about this. Because we need to take hold of this. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse, verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. So if you ever start feeling timid in a situation, that spirit did not come from God. It came from somewhere else. Maybe it came from your own mind, from your own heart, or from the devil. Somewhere else it came from, but it didn't come from God. God has not given us a spirit of timidity but of power. Power. God has given us a spirit of power. That means when He drops me in my career, He has given this to me. It is His fight. I will step into this thing, but it's His fight. I view my career as this. I'm telling you, my career has been... People think that my IQ is like 25 or 30 points higher than it really is. They do. People who've worked in my research group, I mean, they know my weaknesses. There's so many things I don't know. All I do is I encourage students. I say, go do that. And I give them a credit card. So they can buy what they need to buy. And I say, go do that. They say, it can't be done. Do it. And they go off and they do it. God's given them, God gives them creativity and it makes me look good. About four years ago, a guy came, one of my postdocs came to me, he said he wanted to start working on, on uh, energy devices, supercapacitors and batteries. I said, oh no. So many groups are working on that. And he said, oh, yeah, I want to work. So I looked at him, I said, okay, but only if within two years we are going to be one of the top groups in the world in energy devices. He said, okay. And he went off. 
He came up with a supercapacitor, which is the fastest cycling supercapacitor with the highest capacity ever based on a carbon material. Just like that, boom. I had no idea. I didn't even know what a supercapacitor was. <laughs> but he's given us a spirit of boldness. Of boldness. And I see this again and again, what he's doing with my career again and again. My career's not over. He continues to do this. Areas that he drops me into that I know nothing about. And I just make a proclamation. We're going to be one of the best. People believe me. And we end up doing all these great things. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and of discipline. You say, well, you know, I'm not a very disciplined person. That spirit did not come from God. God has given us a spirit of discipline. God has given us a spirit to be able to rise up in the morning, to be able to take the Word of God. You are fighting against the spirit of discipline that God has given you if you say you don't have discipline and you have come into the Lord. And he says in verse 8 of 2 Timothy chapter 1, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, His prisoner, but join me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which He has granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed as a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. You see what he says? He says, therefore do this. Don't be ashamed. Go out and do this. There is a boldness that can come. As we look back at Joshua, go back to Joshua, you see exactly this happening with Joshua. He is looking at Joshua and he is taking him and he's, he's taking him by, by, by the shoulders and saying, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. He's getting hold of his heart and he's saying, you're going to be able to do this. He's saying, no man, in Joshua chapter 1 verse 5, no man's going to be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Jesus has said the same thing about us. He will not drop us. He says the hairs of our head are numbered. A sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without your father knowing it, he says. He will not fail you or forsake you. If you feel that Jesus has forsaken you, you're mistaken. He has not. He will not fail you. Or forsake you. He will not. He says to him, I will not fail you or forsake you. I take this scripture and I call it down upon myself. I do. It wasn't meant for you. It was meant for Joshua. I am taking this thing and calling it upon myself. Taking the thing as if it were for me. And I call it down upon me. If you say, you just don't have faith for that. You know what I say to that? Lord, what they could have had, I'll take it. Give it to me. What they could have had, but they don't want to take it by faith, I'll take it. Don't let it go to waste. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing to go to heaven and see just, just storehouses of gifts? I mean, just miles and miles and miles of like these big, you know, Sam's and Walmart, uh, 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 you know, warehouses. You see, what is that? Oh, that's all the gifts you could have had, had you only believed Wow. I don't want those to go to waste. 
See, Lord, I'll take them. I'll take them. You take this verse, you pick up the Word of God, and you call it down upon yourself. Why would God put this in the Bible? Just so that we could read about some other guy? What does that do for me? What, I'm supposed to read stories all day about how you bless other people? If it doesn't apply to me, why are you having me do it? No, it's because He wants us to take this, pick it up, and walk in it. You have before you, as young people, a tremendous ability to take the Word of God and start applying it to your life in a bold way. You see Him just encouraging Joshua, take hold of this, take hold of it. Again and again, this, this chapter is so rich. You take this chapter and call it down upon your life. Call it down upon your life and you will just start seeing things happen where you'll just start excelling people around you. say, well, how does this happen? Because God gave it to you. God gave it to you. That's what the Word of God does. Let's pray. Abba Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You, Lord God. Father, I pray that You would take these young people and You would so fill them with the power of God that they would learn to take Your Word, to read it, and call it down upon their own lives. Lord, that they would learn to obey it and to walk in it. Father, I pray for these young people that You would bring them far further along than they could ever ask or think as the Scriptures have promised Lord, I pray that You would do that in their lives, that they would take the Word of God and call it down upon themselves. Do that in their lives, I pray. And Father, as many more are going to be leaving this week, Lord, I pray that You watch over them, protect them, guide them safely, and bring them back. Bring the ones back who are coming back in August and the others who are graduating. Use them richly for Your glory. Father, may they remember these truths from the Word of God. Abba, do a great work, I pray. And Lord, for those here that don't know You, that have no ability to call these things into their own lives because they haven't yet bowed their knees before the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that You'd soften their hearts and draw them close to Jesus. Soften their hearts, I pray, and draw them to Jesus. For the glory of our Lord. Amen.